Okay. So uh, we'll, you know, take up with chapter six, uh, where we left before, left off last time. Okay. So let's start with our visualization and setting our minds. And I think it's especially helpful to imagine all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas in front of us uh, and take refuge and then generate bodhicitta before teachings, because then when we listen to the teachings, we can think that the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are instructing us. And uh, when you think like that, then it uh, makes our mind more alert and more receptive to the meaning. So you can especially uh, think of Shantideva in the merit field. And then when we hear the teachings, you know, uh, here is Shantideva through his wonderful work, Bodhicharya Vatara, uh, teaching us so many centuries later. Let's generate our motivation and really rejoice at our opportunity to practice. There are so many obstacles to practice and so many people who want to do more practice, but, you know, they're busy, they don't have enough food, they have to take care of other people or, uh, you know, go to work or they live in a country without religious freedom where they're uh, in fear of being found out for practicing the Dharma. So when you consider what's going on in the world at this very moment, the fact that we could wake up this morning do our practice, offer food at the time of uh, breakfast, and then come to teachings. Wow, when do you get this kind of easy opportunity to be able to learn and practice the Dharma? So let's appreciate that and appreciate our own interest in the Dharma, our, the faith and receptivity that we have in our own mind. And then let's go forward in our life with compassion for all sentient beings and the bodhicitta aspiration for full awakening and a happy mind.
Okay, so last time we we started chapter six on fortitude. Yeah, we only did five verses, but um, those five verses made two very important points, at least. First, that uh, anger, if we don't control it, destroys our merit. So attachment... When it's uncontrolled, we may create a lot of negative karma, but actions done out of attachment don't themselves destroy the merit. They just create more obscuration on the mind. But anger not only creates more negative karma and obscuration, but it destroys the merit that we have previously created. And you can really feel that sometimes after you've gotten really angry and then you sit down, your mind feels really different, doesn't it? And so I've learned to ask myself when I get angry, is the quote, quote, pleasure of getting angry and blaming somebody else for my unhappiness, is it worth destroying eons of merit? And of course, if I'm thinking correctly, no, a few moments uh, of anger is not worth it. Okay. The thing is to remember that when we're getting angry. And then the, the second thing is the antidote to anger, at least one of them, is fortitude, the ability to bear hardship. And uh, fortitude is considered an, an austerity, okay, because we are giving up the wish to retaliate, to strike back, to blame, to criticize, to complain, okay? We're... we're it's an austere practice, isn't it? We're renouncing some things that we are very habituated to that we think we have the complete right uh, to do and that we think is actually helping us. You know? So often in life, we do not see anger as our enemy. We see anger as our friend. Yeah? Because if I'm angry, I'm sticking up for myself. I'm not letting people step all over me. And if there's injustice in the world, getting angry at the perpetrators of it is going to stop the injustice. Okay, that's the way the mind thinks. Yeah. Of course, when we really sit and look at how the mind is thinking and ask ourselves, is this reasonable? Is this a reasonable way to think? We realize it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It, we think that anger is going to bring some good results to us, but it never does, not even in this life. Okay. Now somebody may say, but when I'm angry and I insult people and I tell people off and I... Uh, expose their faults publicly so that other people don't like them and they lose their reputation. I'm doing something good. You know, 
because then other people believe me and I will be more powerful. So as they say, you win the battle and lose the war because people may capitulate and do what you want out of fear, but fear does not mean respect. Fear and respect are two different things. And pretty soon those people who we are so intent on making unhappy because they deserve it uh, are going to retaliate on us or uh, rebel or revolt. You know, in the long run, it's it's not going to pay off. Okay. And then also another fault of, of anger is the people who trust us stop trusting us. Yeah, when you think about it, the, the, you know, if people are angry and blame you, even if they're blaming you for something you did do, the fact that they're saying it out of anger is very different than if they said it out of compassion. Yeah, if somebody can say in, a, a, you know, with compassion in a good tone of voice, you know, unless we really need the forceful tone because we're totally obscured. But, you know, if somebody just says, you may not have noticed your actions are having these kind of effects or this is something you need to check up on. Yeah, uh, we, we uh, you know, are more inclined to listen and we don't lose faith, but faith, faith in them or trust in them. But as soon as... Uh, somebody gets angry and starts exposing even the things we did that we know we did, that we don't feel good about doing. The fact that they're saying it all when they're angry, you know, harms the relationship. Uh, so just to, to realize, you know, the effect of our speech and our actions on others. Because it isn't always what you say, it's how you say it. Okay? So, uh, a very good example is uh, with your parents. Do you know what the look looks like? Your mom or dad could be across the room, and you get the look, and you know you're in trouble. Okay. They didn't say one word. Yeah. But the, you know, the look, and there's usually anger behind the look. At least the looks I got. Yeah. So it, so often what people remember is not exactly what you said but how you said it and what you looked like when you said it and how they felt because of that. So, uh, you know, if you, if you really want to end a relationship uh, and break trust with somebody, uh, get angry at them. That's a, a good way to do it. Of course, you know, you also create a lot of negative karma and hurt feelings and destroy your merit. But, you know, I'm, I'm joking. I hope you realize here. But, uh, you know, 
Anger is a very good way to destroy things. And I was, somebody came the other day who, who wanted to speak to me privately, and, and uh, you know, he remembered something I had said from one of the Dharma teachings, that we say the most painful, horrible, disgusting things to the people we love the most. You know, and people who are strangers, we would never talk like that to them. We may get angry, you know, they they rear-end us, you get angry, but you would never say the cutting things to a stranger that we say to the people we care about the most. Okay, isn't that crazy? You know, it, does that sound true for you? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's really crazy. And then we break trust with the people that we care about the most. And we take them so much for granted that we think that they should just uh, get over it after five minutes and not feel hurt and be just as loving as they were before. But they don't, just like we don't if they get mad at us. So it's something really to pay attention to. Yeah. Okay. So verse 6, Shantideva says, Hence the enemy anger creates sufferings such as these, but whoever assiduously overcomes us finds happiness now and hereafter. So in being able to overcome our anger, we are happy now, Okay, and we create the good karma for future rebirths. When I say now, I mean in this life, you know, so it could be in the future of this life too. But, um, okay, overcoming anger does not mean we suppress it. Yeah, if we suppress it, it usually comes out in some other way. So to overcome it, Uh, We have to see its disadvantages. We have to understand that it is based on misconception, that anger is not a realistic state of mind. Okay. That second part, I know for myself, is incredibly important because as long as I believe that I am seeing things correctly when I'm angry, then I have no impetus to stop my anger. And even if I think, oh, I'm angry, I should apply antidotes and calm myself down, I will not apply those antidotes if I am convinced that my anger is seeing the situation accurately. Okay? So that's when we see the antidotes go out of the window when we're angry because we are so overwhelmed by the anger and so sure at that moment that what we are perceiving is an objective reality out there. 
that, of course, everybody should see in the same way we see it because we are seeing the objective reality. And the person we're mad at, yeah, one of the reasons we're mad at them is because they're not seeing reality, and we are. Of course, that person looks at us and thinks the same way, that they are seeing an objective reality, that we're the one who's being obnoxious, and that we're wrong because we are not perceiving the objective reality that they are. Okay? So it all boils down in conflict to the same thing of I'm right, you're wrong, you change. And this is, you know, those three things. This is what guides our international diplomacy or lack thereof. It's what, you know, is behind so much strife in society behind two different groups. And so we can't even talk to each other because who wants to to talk to somebody who is wrong? (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to hear their wrong views. I just want to make them realize that they're wrong and they need to drop their wrong views. Okay, so we make no attempt to really understand what is lying behind what the person thinks and feels. Okay. And then, you know, that stops the communication right away. Okay. And that's why I think uh, NVC is so good, nonviolent communication, because you're trying to understand what the other person feels and what they may need And we're also trying to understand what we feel and what we need. Because very often, we're not aware of what we really need, and that is what is behind our anger. Or we're aware of what we need, but we expect the external world and the people in it to meet our need. And I think what NVC and Buddhism are also together saying is how about if we learn to meet our own needs? And how about if we question if our, if we really need what we think we need and if our needs are actually reasonable or if they're totally bloated and misconstrued? Yeah, because often we will say, you know, I need you to do X, Y, Z. That is not what we need. That's a command we're giving to the other person. What, we, what if we look, what we may need is I need cooperation. Okay, that doesn't mean the cooperation has to come from that person. Okay. We can often meet our own needs, or at least lessen those needs. Maybe we don't need the the degree of cooperation that we think we need, because in our mind, cooperation means they uh, give up their stance and do what we want. 
That's not cooperation. Okay. If we want cooperation, cooperation takes two people. If we say, I want cooperation, meaning you cooperate, but we're not willing to, then we're not really asking for uh, cooperation. We're asking for capitulation. Okay. So we should be more honest. I want you to capitulate. (laughs) And see that I'm right and you're wrong and you're being rude and inconsiderate and you're not listening to me and you don't understand me anyway and you never have. Oh, my goodness. And think how much time in our life we have spent getting angry, not just dealing with the person face-to-face that we're angry with or email by email that we're angry with, but how much time we have spent ruminating afterwards or before talking to them Okay, building up our case about why we're wrong and we're right and they're wrong. Yeah. And have you ever noticed this ruminating? We go through the building up our case many times to make sure our offense, which we think is a defense, but it's really an offense, is, is correct. Yeah, you did this, therefore you meant that. there, And that made me feel this way. And you didn't listen to what I said, and you don't understand me. And, you know, we have the judge, the prosecutor, the jury in our own mind, and of course we convict the other person. Because they have no defense. Because they're wrong. And we go over our argument again and again. I, I bet you, is, I mean, this is what prosecuting attorneys do. Yeah. They do all their research and then they rehearse their argument because they're aiming for a conviction. So we do our research. What is our research? Our own personal opinions. So we gather our personal opinions together, we make our argument, we go over it, ruminating, 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 ruminating. And we are sure they are wrong, and we're going to prove it to them. This is an area where I've been working lately, and where I, what I find difficult is to um, really tease apart Anger and logic, because on one hand, I'm, I'm trying to analyze, now wait a minute, is there anger there, or is this a valid sense of, you know, situation, uh-huh. looking at, and sometimes it's, you know, I mean, as trying to be honest as I can, but also knowing that anger is sneaky and self-centeredness is sneaky. And yeah. Well, many situations we can look at. Let's take a situation in which somebody lied to us. And and it, we see that, it, we can prove it because we have a written statement that they gave us beforehand or something. So we can say, yes, you know, they lied to me. That That is reasonable or logic, logical. The question is, do I need to get angry about it? That's the question. 
Okay. Yes, sentient beings may do harmful things. They may do unreasonable things. But do we need to get angry about it? So I find this, I often do this little back and forth with myself instead of the judge-jury thing. I'll have this little conversation, you know, part A and part B. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't, some, sometimes I play part A, sometimes I play part B. But one of the signs says, so-and-so did this. And they said they weren't going to do it. I have it written down. They sent me an email or I have it on recording. And they didn't do it. They didn't follow through. They blew it. Okay? So that is true. Then the other one says, so why are you angry? Well, because... They did the, they lied to me and that's insulting my integrity. And, you know, why do they need to lie? They can just tell me the truth. And then this one says, yeah. Uh, so why do you need to get angry at them because they, they did that? Well, you don't understand, you know, they're just really being totally inconsiderate beyond human manners. Yes, sentient beings sometimes act beyond human manners. Why do you need to get angry at them when they do? And I'll go back and forth with this. And, you know, the question that I ask myself is always, you know, okay, that may have happened, but why do you need to get angry? And that question for me, stops me in my tracks. Yeah, why do I need to get angry? They may have done horrible things. Why do I need to get angry at them? Does my anger make what, you know, what, what good does my anger do? Does it convince them of their error? Does it, you know, what comes of the anger that is beneficial? If I know what they did was harmful and inappropriate and wrong for the behavior, I can still know that. And I may need to talk to them about that. But why do I need to get angry? And that's where I came up with the little slogan, sentient beings do what sentient beings do. Sentient beings are under the control of afflictions and karma. They're under the control of birth, aging, sickness, death, sorrow, and defilements. Why am I expecting them to be Buddhas? Yeah. What is the unreasonableness in all of this is my incorrect expectation that other people should not make mistakes. It's okay if I make mistakes, but they are not allowed to. It's okay if I get angry and blame people and say hurtful things. Yeah, because I'll apologize later and that makes it okay. 
uh, right? But it's not acceptable if they blame and insult me and say hurtful things. So who's the one who's being illogical here? Yeah? So say, saying or realizing, understanding that there's no need for us to be angry does not mean what the other person did was okay. But what it does do is it relaxes our mind. Because who suffers when we are angry? Who suffers the most? Yeah? You know, when you really look at your own experience, when you're angry at somebody, when you hold a grudge and you want to get even and you are going to blame them and make them change because they are so unreasonable, who is suffering? Yeah, I mean, they could be sitting down having a cup of tea and a good conversation with one of their friends. They could be taking a walk in the park, enjoying nature. Who's suffering when we're angry? Us. Isn't it? You know? And we don't want ourselves to suffer. Okay, this does not mean we're wrong. It means we don't want ourselves to suffer. So if we're doing something that makes ourselves suffer, it would be really good if we stopped doing that. You know? My mom used to, to say, you know, in various occasions when I was a child, and also later, <laughs> don't keep hitting your head against the wall. You know? In other words, don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't keep doing something that is, you know, causing pain to yourself. But, you know, try, you're trying so hard to get somebody to understand and change, you know. And, yeah. So I know personally for myself, the relationships where I know somebody's not going to change, you know, especially with my parents, you know. My parents are not going to change. Yeah, they've had these habits for a long time. Yeah, they're not going to change. Their habits make them miserable. Yeah, their habits may annoy me, and they may, you know, one of their habits may be getting angry at me. Oh, imagine that, somebody getting angry at me. That's so unfair. But anyway, they get angry at me. Yeah. And they say these nasty little painful things. So why do I need to get mad at it? My anger going to stop them from doing that? Does it make them happy? To do that? No. 
They aren't happy when they do that. They do that probably because they learned it from their parents. And if I'm really observant, I may find myself saying and doing some of the same things my parents did that I vowed to myself I would never say or do. We have a mother, two mothers. This is, do you say things to your kids that you vowed when you were younger you would never say to your kids because they were said to you? Yep. And you? I'm not recalling right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your daughter will remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you can, you can see that you did that. Yeah. So, you know, many people have told me that they're just shocked to find what's coming out of their mouth, the very things that they vow never to say to their kids that were said to them. Yeah. So, why did your your parents say that? Because they learned it from their parents. And chances are, if you have kids, you'll say the same thing too. So who, what's the use of getting mad? at other people, you know. Because after all, when people throw out those jabbing comments, whether it's parents or siblings or aunts or uncles or friends or who knows who, okay, for there to be pain, there's the jabbing comment and there's they're throwing the hook, we have the ring. Okay, when they throw hooks out, they're just throwing the hook. Who bites the hook? Us. So it takes, another thing my mom used to say is, it takes two to tango. Yeah, you heard that one too, huh? And it really does. It takes two to tango. You, you don't do the tango by yourself. Yeah. So if somebody's throwing out the hook, the hook and we bite it, we're participating in the whole thing. So then what we have to do is stop and say, why am I biting the hook? Well, because I'm an adult and they're disrespecting me and ah, 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 ah. And then again, you do the thing. Okay, they may doing that. Why do you need to bite the hook? Why do you need to get upset because they're doing that? Well, really, I am an adult and I can think for myself and they're treating me like a five-year-old. Okay. Why do you get mad? Okay. And you keep questioning yourself. You keep doing that until your mind finally gives up. And says, yeah, there's no reason for me to get mad. And there's no reason for me to bite the hook. Yeah? I don't need to bite the hook. Yeah? I just remember something. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, say it. Come on. It might look like that. 
Okay, say it. <laughs> I think I was at my worst when I was teaching her to drive. And I kept on thinking that she just couldn't do it right. And I was a terror. I was holy terror. And she was so afraid to get in the car with me because it was just not a learning experience. It was mom screaming about all the things that she was doing wrong. And I think I had conveniently forgotten about those episodes. <laughs> Is that how you learn to drive too? Thankfully not, but my mother used that technique on other things. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And what's the message when somebody uses that technique on you? What's the message? Yeah, and, and what's your response? I mean, when your mom used that technique on you? Well, I was very rebellious. I just like, okay, now I'm going to show you. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> so the anger is saying, I want you to capitulate. And you said, forget it. <laughs> and some of us said, oh, I'm so afraid. I'll do whatever you want. But inside, wait until I get out of this house. <laughs> yeah. And then we went crazy when we were out of the house. Okay. Oh, childhood memories. But this is the benefit of being an adult now, is that we can clear all of this away. So then we can look back and see the love that our parents did give us. Yeah. Uh, and the kindness that they gave us. And actually how fortunate we were. Yeah despite all of our complaining and so on. Yeah. Not that we were necessarily easy kids to bring up. Yeah. Do you think you were an easy kid to bring up? Yeah, when I was good, I was definitely an easy kid. Good means when I did what they want. Okay? When I didn't, then they had a handful. Yeah, there's this video somewhere. I don't know if I have it. Maybe my brother has it or my sister. Uh, of me throwing a temper tantrum, yeah, when I was four or five years old. Yeah. So what do you do with a kid? You know, what did they do? They brought me a present expressing their love. They brought me new skates expressing their love. What do I do in return? I have a temper tantrum because the skates won't, they were the old skates, not the ones that were a shoe that you put your foot in, but that hooked onto your shoe, and they wouldn't stay hooked. So here's my parents giving me these skates, wanting to make their child happy. And what do I do? 
<laughs> you know? That must have been really fun for them having me as a kid. <laughs> okay. So it's it's very good to uh you know do some research on our way of thinking and responding and our habitual ways. And also the way in which behind the anger there is hurt and pain and the way in which we kind of, how to say, wrap our hands around that hurt and pain and don't want to give it up. Because as long as we can hold our hurt and pain, that means that somehow we're right and they were the cause of our hurt and pain. Okay? Not the, the fact that I have the seeds of attachment and anger in my mind was not, were not, that was not the cause of my hurt and pain. Their words and actions were. Yeah? Do you think the Buddha would agree with that statement? No, of course not. Yeah. Why do we get angry? We have the seeds of anger. Later on in this chapter, Shanti Devas says something to the effect of, you know, other people may beat you and cause you physical pain, but you can't blame them for that pain because having a body is your own responsibility. If you had practiced better in previous lives, you wouldn't have a body that was so open to pain and you wouldn't have the karma to experience pain. Of course, none of us like to hear that, do we? Yeah that we have some role. Because then we get into guilt, self-deprecation, and that's a whole other painful thing. So we go from blaming others and feeling justified because we, are, we feel hurt to blaming ourselves and feeling justified because we're such awful people because we should have practiced the Dharma better. Okay. So when, when self-grasping ignorance and self-centered thought are in charge, those are the two possible conclusions we reach. Are either of them reasonable? Yeah. Both of those conclusions are, are totally out of touch with reality. Yeah. So this whole thing, we are so into blame and fault. Yeah. And I think all cultures have it, but it seems to me there's something special about theistic cultures where blame and fault, yeah, are really emphasized and, and guilt. Yeah. And so we're trained every episode that happens, we see through who's to blame, whose fault is it. 
And that's how we look at something. We never look at a situation and say, what are all the dependently arising factors that created this? Not only this, the factors that occur in this life, but all the factors in previous lives that created the karma for this to happen and that created the cooperative conditions for that karma to create, to ripen. You know, we don't look at a situation as a really complicated ripening of so many different causes and conditions. We want to see it as one thing. Okay? And we blame. It's one person who bears responsibility for this. That's it. Okay? And that's totally not reasonable. Okay? So if we can free ourselves of our own unreasonable ways of thinking, we'll be a lot happier. It's true, isn't it? Yeah. Similarly, with all the good things, okay, we just had a couple of weeks of, you know, it just even look yesterday, the ordination. Yeah. There was a verse at the end of the ordination, no one is not happy when encountering the Buddha. Yeah. Remember that verse? It's towards the end of it. Can you chant it? Do you remember it? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Anyway. No, there's something about the Buddha, too, in there. It's encounter the Buddha. Yeah. That one, do you remember the words? This is the verse I'm thinking of. I don't remember all the words to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, my point is... We had this incredible day, you know, where people were so happy and their minds in such good places. And we see it as, you know, there's one cause for it. Yeah, an ordination. Now the ordination's done. Oh, now we're back to, you know, regular old day-to-day things. We can be unhappy and miserable. Um, (laughs) Okay? But... That the occasion, yeah, which la- which lasted from eight thirty in the morning till one thirty in the afternoon, okay. Um, did it come about because of one cause? No, there were so many causes, you know, and causes that each one of us created. Yeah, not just the people who were ordained, but the people who were ordained multitudes of causes to have the opportunity to become Anagarikas, to become a Shikshmana. Yeah, multiple causes. The people who were there to witness it, multiple causes. You know, so much was bearing fruit yesterday. And every single incident or event in our life is like that. So many causes and conditions coming together. And 
you know, this is a function of our ignorance that we don't see that, you know. We talk about dependent arising, but in our life we don't necessarily see things as dependently arising, yeah. If somebody does something well, that person is excellent. Yeah. What about all their teachers? What about the people who brought them up? Yeah. What about the good circumstances they had around them so that they could learn? We dismiss all of that. We credit it to one individual. But that individual is a product of so much conditioning. You know, just as we are products of all of our conditioning. And so thinking, you know, that I am to blame or I am the one who's successful is, is really not appropriate. It's due to all these causes and conditions. There's no inherently existent I that's there that, you know, is so wonderful and there's no inherently existent I in the other person who's so terrible that all of that is just our fabrication. It's scary, isn't it? You know, to think that, that how much we fabricate. Rejoicing. Okay. How wonderful when one encounters the Buddha, there is no one who is not happy. In the past, we have created merit and generated the wish to meet the Buddha Dharma, and now we have obtained great Dharma benefit. So that's it, isn't it? Yeah. So really, there's no, yeah, there's no one that's not happy. That was my main point. What were the third and fourth ones? In the past, we have created merit. Okay, so there, dependent arising. Okay. And generated the wish to meet the Buddha Dharma. Okay. More causes and conditions. And now we have obtained great Dharma benefit. Yeah. So all those causes and conditions came together. Not only the ones that we created, but the ones that everybody created. Because you're not going to have an ordination by yourself. <laughs> you know, you could go stand in a room all by yourself and say, I'm holding an ordination. <laughs> but, you know, uh, nothing much is going to happen. <laughs> okay, so it's many people involved. Yeah. Someone online has that question about anger. Um, isn't there an occasion where, when it is kind to another to give um, a warning resembling anger? What if they ignore the danger or harm they're doing to self or others unless they, they believe that you're angry? Okay, so we have to understand what anger is and what fortitude is. They are mental states. They are not behaviors. Okay? So anger is a mental state based on exaggerating the negative qualities of someone or something and then wanting to destroy it or get away from it in some way. Okay? Patience or fortitude is the opposite. 
you know, it's a mental state that can see a situation accurately and refrain and be able to endure anything that that comes from it. You know, there's a lot of strength when we have uh, fortitude, which is why I changed the translation from patience to fortitude. You know, fortitude, you have inner strength. Patience, you're sitting around waiting for something. Okay. Um, so those are both internal attitudes or feelings. They are not the behavior. Okay. The behavior can be aggressive. It can be forceful. It can be passive. It can be kind. And any of those behaviors can be motivated by either anger or fortitude. Okay? So examples. Yeah? Aggressive behavior motivated by anger. I think people, I don't need to give many examples of that. Okay? Aggressive behavior motivated by, by fortitude. Okay? You have a kid who is running out in the middle of the street without looking both ways and is dangerous, okay? You have to pre present to that child a very forceful-looking face so that that kid remembers that this is something important, okay? If you say with a, pa with a very kind, you know, voice, Oh, sweetheart, don't run in the middle of the street. You could get hurt. Is your child going to remember that and pay attention? No. So you can say something without being angry at the child to get the point across and help the child remember it. Okay? Similarly, passive behavior... You can be extremely passive when you're angry. Yeah, some people totally shut down when they're angry. I'm not talking to you. Okay, you can be passive when you're angry. Yeah, you can also be calm and passive when you have fortitude. So don't confuse the behaviors with the attitudes. Yeah. We're talking here about our, what's going on in our mind. When what is going on in our mind is clear, then our mind, you know, our mind is clear to figure out which kind of behavior is best in the situation. When our own mind is not clear, then we just go on automatic and do what we're habituated to doing and wonder why people always respond the same way and nothing changes. Okay? So it's really something, you know, so often... People come to me, and I'm sure they, they went to you as a therapist, saying, what do I do? Tell me what to do. What do I do? There's this 
situation going on. What do I do? And I always tell people, what you do, put that on the back burner for, for the time being. It's not a question of what you do. First, you have to get your mind balanced. Yeah, and get the affliction out of your mind. Then, with a clear mind, you can look at the situation, see what your objectives are, and decide what kind of actions are going to be most uh, effective given that particular uh, layout of the situation to accomplish your purpose. Yeah. But we always want to know what to do. And that's not the first question to ask. It's how do I get my mind clear and calm so I can see the situation without affliction? Yeah? Because otherwise, I mean, we all know what happens when we act with affliction in our mind. Yeah. We've done that beginning less times. We all know what happens. Mm-hmm. Follow-up question. Uh-huh. Um, how then to avoid being or seeing patronizing... Or, oh, sorry, she just said she, the, her follow-up question has been answered, and thank you. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll talk a little bit about that anyway. <laughs> you know, when somebody's being patronizing. No? That wasn't... Well, I want to talk about one. That may not have been her, her, her question. Okay. It's my question. It's my problem. Okay? <laughs> yeah. When people are being patronizing towards me, it pushes a button. Yeah. I do not like when people are, you know looking down on me or mansplaining or something like that, yeah. So, you know, my thing is just, again, you know, why do I need to get angry? No, somebody's been conditioned by their environment to act in this way. Most of the time they don't even realize what they're doing, because society goes along with it. But why do I need to let that affect my own mood, my own feelings? And why do I need to let it affect my actions by making me intimidated? Yeah. Somebody can be patronizing, and I can still say what I think. Yeah, and if they feel threatened by me saying what I think, that part is their problem. Unless I have the motivation to stick it to them, then that is my problem. Okay? So our motivations are our thing. Our responses to others' actions are our things. Yeah, other people's motivations are their things to work out, and their responses are their things. Okay, 
So when you're trying to be a people pleaser and the people are never satisfied, that is not your thing. That is their thing. But your motivation for being a people pleaser is your thing. So what's motivating wanting to be a people pleaser? This is a very interesting treasure hunt. Yeah? To really look in our minds about what what is motivating the people-pleasing behavior. Yeah? Anybody want to share what they found? Yes. It comes from low self-esteem and wanting someone else to affirm that I have value and that um, I have a place to belong and that I have meaning. So I um, can get derailed from my own sense of that within myself and then look out to others to affirm that. And then if people are angry with me, there's panic because it means I'm a bad person or... um, love and affection are going to be taken away and that's scary. Um, but it's, it's largely about my own self-worth and value that I'm wanting others to affirm back to me rather than looking at it within myself. Mm-hmm. I grew up where people that weren't pleased with you, the kids I grew up with or... Um, the, the adults' means of um, disciplining meant that people that weren't pleased with you might hurt you. And so there was fear. And so what? There's, there was fear there was that fear. caused people pleasing. Yeah. yeah. There was fear. And so people pleasing alleviated the, the danger and the fear. Mm-hmm. I have this very early image, and I was the firstborn child. So somehow I got it in my head, or maybe I came into this life with it, that it was my job to make everything okay. So I would pick up on the tensions that my parents would have between each other, or, you know, one of us kids would be misbehaving. And so I, I just assumed it was my job as the eldest to people please and make things stable again and okay. Yeah. yeah, I think that, yeah. Mm-hmm. You absolutely cannot let down the people who have been so kind and love you. You know, you cannot fail their expectations, otherwise, you are disgracing them, you're not loving them back. Uh, so, you gotta give your life to. Fulfill what they want. Interesting how there's so many different motivations going on. And all of them we can understand, can't we? You know? And all of them uh, limit our own wisdom and our own growth in the Dharma.
So I think we should have a revolt against people-pleasing. Then somebody's going to say, but then nobody's going to be nice to anybody else. No, actually, it'll be the opposite. If we revolt against people-pleasing, then people will be genuinely kind, genuinely loving, genuinely helpful. Don't you think? Yeah? So actually, it would be a lot nicer. As far as nonviolent communication, I have to be honest to say that I can see myself sometimes using the feelings and needs list to demand things of people. You know, those wonderful words, as you said, I have needs for collaboration, shared reality, um, cooperation, um, safety. And I put it within the context of basically saying, not only do I have that need, but you have to change the way that you're doing it to meet that need. Mm-hmm. So your whole this whole new spin now that says, are these needs, first of all, that the world has to meet? Or is it something that, first of all, do you even need? And then second of all, <laughs> yeah. your practice can help you to, dis- to explore this because it's, it's an interesting strategy of the self-centered thought to use this very altruistic mm-hmm. language instead of the moralistic language to get basically its, its way anyway. Yeah. So it, it's saying I need collaboration with the body language and tone of voice that means, and you have to be collaborative. Okay, so the words sound okay, but the rest is conveying that because that's what's really in our mind. Clarity. Yeah. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I need, often when I use NVC, I look at the words when I say, I need collaboration. Can I reword that in, into a verb? I need you to collaborate. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause, yeah, cause often, you know, um, or I need, uh, okay. I need safety is different, you know. I need, well, I need you to make me feel safe. But, you know, to, to really look when, when we say any of these words, which are, you know, reasonable needs, do we have behind it in our mind the message that the other person has to deliver it? So maybe my analogy of rewording isn't so accurate, but, um, to really see, like you suggested, what our motivation is instead of using uh, beautiful language in, um, in a twisted, manipulative way. Yeah, and what's also interesting about that is to ask ourselves, uh, do I really have that need? Yeah, uh, I need safety. Well, what's unsafe about what's going on right now? Yeah, well, I'm afraid that this person is going to criticize me and I feel unsafe when they criticize me. 
Okay, whose responsibility is it to make me feel safe? Is there a way that I can make myself feel safe? Yeah, when I stop taking things personally, when I learn to evaluate myself, when I learn to listen to criticism, and if the criticism is spot on to acknowledge it, then I don't need to feel hurt. And if the criticism is erroneous, again, I don't need to feel hurt because what they're saying isn't true. So who makes me feel safe? Yeah. Sure, there are situations in which, uh, you know, as a society we would agree people don't feel safe in those. But many of those situations, still we can help ourselves to feel safe in them. Yeah. I mean, even if somebody's coming to kill us, and, you know, our instant reaction may be terror, but, you know, if you've practiced Dharma and you know you've imagined your death many times, you're very familiar with the fact that you're going to die and you're going to say goodbye to your body and friends and relatives and everything, and you've done a lot of meditation on that, then there's a much better chance than even if you're in physical danger to like, okay, death is coming. It's just like they said, death is definite. The time of death is not definite. And here it is. So, okay, I've been practicing to have the right attitude, what to do. This is the time. Hmm. So... Yeah, so I think there's ways of making ourselves feel safe, even in in dangerous situations. And uh, it all depends on the strength of our self-centeredness and the strength of our uh, self-grasping. Okay? You know, so if you look at quote-unquote normal sentient beings, uh, yeah, very difficult for them to feel safe because... We grasp that everything is truly existent. But then if you look at the holy beings, then you see, well, actually, you know, there is a way to practice so that we can relax in difficult situations. Yeah. So it's not going to come easy. There's no pills to take. But there is a, 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 pra- a practice outlined to help us develop different internal qualities. And if we have those qualities, then a difficult situation can be tolerable. I I had a chance to read that list of needs and wants in the the chapel downstairs. Mm -hmm. And what the comment reminded me of is some of those needs resemble the superimpositions on the aspects Mm -hmm. of the Four Noble Truths. So when someone's, when you can see in someone else that they have a need for stability, that's very similar to the superimposition of permanence. Yep. (laughs) Um, Once someone, and so then you can feel some compassion for, because you can, it brings out the ignorant factors. 
yeah. in others and you can feel patience and compassion for that rather than responding aggressively towards that. Yeah. 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 And similarly, when we feel the need for stability to meditate on impermanence and, re- you know, and when we meditate on impermanence, then we see that our need for stability is somehow cattywampers. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. We did one verse today. <laughs> okay. But the next verse, verse 7, is a very, very... Uh, important verse yeah so the next few verses are quite important we'll spend some time on them too